Welcome to episode number 41 of the Marine Layer Podcast with TJ Matthewson and Lyle Goldstein. On today's pod, we welcome Matt Calkins, a sports columnist at the Seattle Times. Great conversation with Matt. You're not going to want to miss that. We also have our Mariners storylines. I promise there's going to be a lot of talk about clutch play in this episode. Lots of talk about it. So be prepared. Another way you can get prepared, if you want to listen to us on a regular basis, you can download our audio podcast. You can do so on Apple, Spotify, Google, and Amazon. If you do that, make sure to subscribe. Make sure to hit download. Give us a five-star review. It helps us big time. And if you're listening on our audio platforms, do us a big favor. Go watch our video stuff too. It's over on YouTube. You can hit subscribe there. Leave a like. Leave a comment. Again, make sure to subscribe. We do a bunch of stuff on the video side too. And as always, you want to follow us on social media. You can do so on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube Shorts at Marine Layer Pod. Let's get it rolling. And we welcome you to this episode of the Marine Layer Podcast, recording here on Monday, July 24th. This podcast part of the Just Baseball Podcast Network. And Lyle, I thought we would start this episode by playing a game. I thought we would start by picking out what's your favorite Mariners record this season. We have plenty of options. We can go, as of tonight, 50-50 and after 100 games. Plenty of other options, too. I mean, we have 45-45, and 42-42, and 34-34. 21 and 21, and so on. So I thought I'd give the floor to you and let you make a case of which Mariners record is your favorite. I'm going to go with one and one because at that point in the season, I was still optimistic as can be. I remember we were at the first weekend of games and we were heads above the clouds. We couldn't wait for the season. And now we sit at the end of July and I am exhausted. I am absolutely drained of this entire season. We're going to see how much more I can take. Now, I say that as if I'm not still going to watch every game and do this podcast all the time, but this season has been exhausting. Do I need to say the line again? When I, after we watched another unclutch performance in a big game that they needed in the wild card race against the Twins here in game one on a Monday. Do I need to say the line again when I'm shocked that they lost again? You can go ahead and say it. This is what 500 teams do. It's truly remarkable. It is truly remarkable. Larry Stone tweeted out the the line by line of the Mariners times this season. They've been at 500. That's the list I was picking from. I actually haven't counted how many times they've exactly been at 500 this season? So let's see. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 separate times this season. The Mariners have been at 500 exactly. And you wonder why we're drained. When at the start of the season, we thought there was a chance they were the second best team in the American League behind the Astros, who they barely lost to a postseason ago. Yeah, they got swept. But all three of those games, everybody knows, were neck and neck. They have not won more than four games in a row. They have not lost more than four games in a row. They win the first two games against the Blue Jays and we're like, wow, 
man, that's promising. That That's promising. How about that? And then two scenarios present themselves on Sunday and Monday that give the Mariners an opportunity to win baseball games. And they not shockingly don't, unsurprisingly, really unsurprisingly don't. Um, here's the only time I'm going to mention bunting here in this opening segment. I think the this, this Sunday game proved Lyle and I's point pretty well, did it not? It did. J.P. Crawford's not only arguably been your best hitter this year, he's been one of your most clutch hitters. You've got runners on first and second with nobody out. You are down a run. You desperately need a run. And you're giving the Blue Jays an out. You're just handing it to them. You're handing them a free out and making the making the distance shorter to have to win the ball game instead of actually having a pitch to one of the Mariners' best hitters to let him swing away. Maybe he shoots one in the gap and two runs score. But no. They sacrifice bunted. Ban the bun. This is why we sit on this podcast and talk about not bunting. Because situations like that destroy rallies. We're going to talk about it a little bit later on in this episode. Maybe if you would check some clutch numbers this season on why that's a bad idea of letting J.P. Crawford bunt in a clutch situation. But um, I'm sitting there and it it's... I'm just at a loss for words at this point. It just, you you shake your head because you almost feel like you know exactly what is going to happen as soon as you hear that a bunt is being called. I, I, I We're not going to talk about this specifically on this episode. It might be a subject for a later episode as we get later into the season and we start talking about offseason because certainly if the Mariners finish where they are, this discussion will be had in some places. And it's the decision-making of Scott Service, who, while paired with Jerry DePoto in this front office, I would say have been more forward-thinking. And there are times they just don't bunt at all. They don't don't really believe that much in sacrifice bunting. And then yet, in some of the biggest scenarios of the season, like on Sunday, like where was the decision switch? Where was the change of philosophy? Let's get to our Mariners storylines because this will directly tie in to what Scott was trying to do and which man he was trying to send to the plate in a clutch scenario. Uh, Julio has a clutch problem this season. He has a major clutch problem. Look, like, I hate that we're about to have to do this. I really hate that we're going to sit here and dissect this. Because I love Julio. You love Julio. The fan base loves Julio. Baseball loves Julio. Because I'm not sure there's a single better ambassador for a singular team than Julio Rodriguez. Between his personality, his charisma, the smile, how he is with fans, with media, his genuine love for the city. Everything. And you know how talented he is. But objectively speaking, as we sit here at the end of July... His disastrous at-bats in late-game situations are losing this team games. That's It's pretty plain and simple. Uh, if you look at fan graphs, he is, as you would expect, the least clutch player on the team. Teoscar's right next to him at number 19, which also hasn't been a big help. But let's just keep it to Julio here at the beginning. I do have some team-centered stats as well later on in this segment. But for now, let's let's stick with Julio. This is kind of puzzling. 
because he was pretty clutch last season. He he did not let the moment get to him at all last season. There's a significant difference in his output between the 2023 season and the 2022 season in multiple late game scenarios. In high leverage scenario, which is based on win probability, Julio had a an OPS of a little bit over 750, but it was above league average, 112 OPS plus last year in those leverage situations. Uh, it has been a 600 OPS this season, hitting 177 with just one home run in high leverage spots. Late and close as well, which is very important. Uh, last year, he was even better in late and close scenarios. He had an OPS nearly nine uh, of nearly 900. Uh, and this season, he has a strikeout rate of 30% in late and close scenarios. Do I need to keep going? Like, I'm I'm tired of reciting these numbers, man. It seems like every time we're we're sitting here in a close game, the same discussion is going on online. The same one. And I'm tired of having this discussion. But it just sticks out that you're right. He's, he's losing them games. And the numbers back it up. So you just covered the ninth inning and you covered just clutch situations. Is that what you just outlined, right? I did not actually get to the ninth. You want to hear his ninth inning stats? I was going to say in the ninth inning, 154, 641 OPS in extra innings, 167 with a 611 OPS. Yeah, his OPS, you said 611. uh, Oh, wait, no, I didn't have extras. I combined the two. That's why. Okay. I remember his extras being, being pretty bad. Um, Yeah. But he was uh, unbe- if you you were curious about last year, he hit nearly 400 in the ninth inning in extras. It's a big difference. It's yeah. a big- <laughs> I mean, he's still on pace to have about a four war season, if not higher, especially when you look at fan graphs. So if this is the worst season of his career, obviously we can't wait to see what he does over his next 15 to 20 seasons. But here in 2023, it's been a big problem because we've talked about it a million times. They're relying on him to be Julio because they, if they want to be the team that they are trying to be and expect themselves to be, he's not doing it. I mean, the season as a whole at the plate has not been great. It hasn't been atrocious by league average standards, but it hasn't been great. But when you get to those clutch situations, that's where it's really killing them. I mean, and even if you want to get past the numbers, if you just want to watch it on TV, we've seen it happen multiple times. We saw it this weekend against the Blue Jays. We saw it again on Monday against the Twins. It's just happened over and over this season. It happened again in the 10th inning against the Twins on Monday night. Ball doesn't even leave, live the infield. Another ball pounded straight into the ground in a clutch scenario. Yeah, that's what I was getting at by this this most recent Twins game here on on Monday. He had a he had a bat in extra innings, ground ball to third base, just it's, just like he's done all season long. It's just disheartening to watch. He's just got to lift the ball. When you look at his baseball savant profile, it's pretty good, which is why a lot of the time it just feels like one little adjustment could turn his whole season around. But he is still just beating baseballs into the ground. If, if we split it up by three-inning chunks, this is not going to get any better. Uh, if you look at the, the first three innings of the game, he's slightly above average as a hitter. Middle three innings, he's three percentage points below league average via OPS+, plus, and then 77 OPS+, plus in the final three innings of the game. Uh, those are the last stats I have for Julio. I just don't feel like it's just going to make me angry to, to recite more of these numbers of how, uh, of how unclutch he's been this season. 
And if you missed it again, 18th worst, uh, 18th least, how would you frame this? Yeah. He's least. the 18th least clutch hitter in baseball. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So that's where he sits. And it just makes it all worse that they should have won the last two games between Sunday against the Blue Jays, where again, he had the chance against Jordan Romano at second and third with one out. They just need a fly ball. And he chased a couple of pretty bad pitches, including the final one from Romano to strike out. And then again, Monday against the Twins. After Colton Wong, by the way, has his shining moment of the season, it feels <laughs> yeah. like that is, it felt like that, what we just watched today, again, we're recording here on Monday. It felt like that could have been the type of thing that starts to turn everything. Even though they lost a heartbreaker on Sunday, it felt like, could this be the spark? Could this be the game that turns them around down to their final out? But no, because they lost the game or they, the twins retied the game in the bottom of the ninth. And then when they needed to score again in the 10th, they didn't. And again, Julio just grounded out to third with a runner on second base. So it's just, it's so tough. You know what? Okay. You know what we got to touch on too? What did you just tweet out a few minutes ago before we started recording? I was going to get to this. I had this saved in my notes. You would have probably seen this if you have paid attention to our Twitter account by the time this releases on Wednesday. Lyle Goldstein, the most clutch player in baseball this season is? Adam Frazier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got a good chuckle when I saw that. It it was it just felt very on brand for all the Mariners' problems this season. A second baseman who people didn't think would miss at all happens to have been the most clutch player in baseball on the most clutch team in baseball in the Baltimore Orioles who currently possess the best record in the American League. Let's be clear here. Adam Frazier objectively has not had a good season. His war is low. His WRC plus is below league average. He has been, he has not been some catalyst for the Orioles, but he has been clutch, similar to how he has one of the most clutch moments in Mariners history. And as I told Lyle, at this rate, I don't care what his war is. I don't care what his WRC plus is on the season. I just want a fucking hit in the ninth inning. Is that too much to ask for? <sighs> Feels like it these days, man. Well, I'll tell you what. If they don't start to turn things around quickly, the trade deadline is a week away from when we're sitting here recording. By the time this is out, it'll be five days away. They have some decisions to make. This fall, stream your favorites and discover more with Disney Plus, Hulu, and ESPN Plus together. Watch the highly anticipated new season of Loki and see the ghosts materialize in Haunted Mansion on Disney Plus. Catch more frights with the Boogeyman and American Horror Story Delicate on Hulu. And on ESPN Plus, get into the action with college football and NFL. All of these and more streaming now. Get the Disney Bundle with plans starting at $9.99 a month. Plans with ESPN Plus starting at $14.99 a month. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. As we get into our second storyline here, a big topic over the last few weeks has been Paul Seawald. What are they going to do with him? Do they keep him? Do they flip him? Are they really going to trade him? So we thought we'd dive into this a little bit here on the show, which is, does he actually get traded? Does he? Yes, he does. Do I want him to get traded? No, I don't actually. I actually don't think that's a good idea for the Mariners 
to trade him, to be honest. I flipped 180 in the past two days. I Two days ago, if you asked me, I would have said, yeah, you know, cut your losses. You got to trade Paul Seawald. Uh, and then I was started looking at some returns that teams got from relief for good, like equal caliber relievers at the deadline last year. And I flipped the switch pretty quick because if you're planning on contending next year, I would rather have Paul Sewold on the team and not mediocre prospects instead. So we're different in this regard, just in the sense of I don't think they actually do it. Personally, I don't think they trade him. I think it's all a bit of buzz and hullabaloo. I don't think in the end he's going to get traded. But we are on the same page in the sense of I don't think it's smart business. To, I don't think it's a smart business decision to ship him away because it's just like you outlined. What are you getting back for him? Let's say the Dodgers need a reliever, right? That's a team that needs some bullpen help that's trying to contend. Who do you think you're getting back? They're not trading James Outman for Paul Seawald. They're not trading one of their young pieces. You're going to get some minor league prospect or maybe low-end bench bat. As good as Paul Seawald's been for three years now, we can get into that in a minute, you're not getting some haul of a return for him. So if that's the case, because he has a year and a half left of club control, just keep him. He is such a vital piece of this bullpen. And next year, you expect to contend again. You expected to contend this year. It's been a struggle. You're expecting to contend, though, next year with this young core. Well, Paul Seawald's been a pretty valuable piece of that bullpen. I would rather just keep him around, especially considering they will probably not get a haul back for him. The most similar trade to what a Paul Seawald trade would look like is the trade last year that the Orioles, they sent Jorge Lopez to the Twins. Lopez had two and a half years of control left on his deal at the deadline last year. They got Cade Povich, who's now currently the Orioles' number 11 prospect. Yanir Cano, who I don't think the Orioles envisioned would be an all-star bullpen arm when they traded for him. So I don't know if we really count that. And then two prospects that are outside of the Orioles' top 30. That's not exactly a return that I'm jumping up and down for. That's a a return where I'd say, you know what, I think if we're if the Mariners truly believe they can contend next season, I'd rather have Paul Seawald on the roster. I don't think the package gets that much worse for trading him this year or trading him next year if you end up underperforming again next year and you feel like you have to deal him. Okay, so what? But the return's similar enough, I'd rather just keep him. Let's be clear. They got very lucky with Yanir Cano. Like slid down at the end of the rainbow into a pot of gold and found Yanir Cano. Because here's what he'd done before he got traded to Baltimore. At 28 years old, he had made 23 big league appearances. He had an ERA of 1150 in 2022. Or I'm sorry, let me let me rephrase that. He had made 13, sorry, he made 13 appearances. Yeah, we're going all over the place. He had 13 total appearances last year in 2022. 10 of them were with the Twins. Three of them were with the Orioles. So he had made 10 big league appearances before he got traded. And in that time with the Twins, he had a 9.22 ERA. And in three outings last year with the Orioles in 2022, he gave up nine earned runs. Oh, by the way, he's 29 years old. The Orioles did not trade for that guy thinking that's going to be one of the best relievers in all of baseball. So if that's how you're justifying your argument for the Mariners should trade Paul Seawald, I can't buy it because the Orioles got incredibly lucky with that. 
And I'm not a big fan of the rest of that return package. So I would rather just keep Seawald. And this is besides the fact Seawald is having his best season as a pro this season. We said the same, Lyle and I talked about this. I think we said the same thing last year after his initial season with the Mariners. Like, oh, his 2022 season is his best with the ball club. No, this 2023 season is pretty clearly, pretty clear the best season that Paul Seawald has had as a pro this year. And I I don't know about you, but I would kind of like to see this continue going instead of trading him away. Can we just break down a little bit what Paul Seawald's three seasons have looked like? He does not get the credit he deserves. He, to me, I'm just going to use a football reference here, but still tying it to the city of Seattle. He almost feels like the Tyler Lockett of this team in some ways, in the sense of Tyler Lockett never, ever, ever gets the national respect that he deserves. I think it's the same with Seawald, because find me a reliever over the last three years that has been as dominant and as consistent as he's been. For the last three years, here's what it's looked like from 2021 to 2023, respectively. ERA by year has gone 306, 267, and here entering Monday in 2023, 288. Now, the FIP from year to year, it's go, or not the FIP, his WHIP from year to year, 102, 076, 098. XERA, 285, 264, 173, again, over the three years. ERA plus 135, 140, 143. If you don't remember, ERA plus is almost the pitching version of OPS plus or WRC plus where, again, hundreds league average, whatever above or below that you are is the percentile better than or worse than league average you are. So 35% above league average, 40% above league average, 43% above league average. And oh, by the way, his peripherals when you look at baseball savant are just off the chart every year. How many other relievers can you even say that about? How many other relievers throw 92 and strike out 38% of the batters they face? Anybody? Bueller? Bueller? No, I don't see any. You're not going to find it. And it just does not get talked about. Over a three-year stretch, Paul Seawald is on a very, very short list for best relievers in all of baseball. Because relievers don't do this. They don't do what they've done over a three-year stretch. We just talked about Yanir Cano. All-star this year, one of the best relievers in the game this season. He has done nothing in his career before this year. Look at Jorge Lopez, one of the best relievers in all of baseball last year. He's been pretty up and down this year. Relievers are very fickle. But Paul Seawald, in a three-year stretch, has been a model of consistency that you do not often see out of bullpen arms. If I want to give one more example, this isn't perfect because he's already under an extension when he was traded, but Iglesias was traded from the, uh, Rossale Iglesias was traded from the Angels to the Braves last year. He was on the first year of a four-year deal, and all the Angels got back for him was Jesse Chavez and Tucker Davidson, who Tucker Davidson, by the way, uh, has a 6-1-5 ERA and 105 major league innings, and Jesse Chavez went back to the Braves. So, I'd, like, how did that work out for you? Not good at all. I don't know if we have to be nice to Tucker David- Davidson or not because he does a podcast at Just Baseball. So I don't know if we technically have to be nice to our coworker. Oh, that's true. That is true. Um, but those you know, are let's bad. move the decimal point. We can move the decimal point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you're, you are you are speaking objective facts. Facts. Those are his stats. Yeah. So. I don't like the idea of the Mariners giving Seawald away because it just does not feel like it's going to move the needle to get a hitter back that they could desperately use. That's true. That is true. 
and I looked at a couple other of these trades too. I mean, Michael Fulmer was a rental when he was traded from the Tigers to the Twins last year, and the Brewers got Matt Bush with three years of control, but he's 36 and doesn't have the doesn't have the reputation that Paul Sewald does. Um, and when the Rangers, I guess, got back now their current number 23 prospect for him. Again, I'm just kind of grasping at at sand here. There's, I'm, I thought I was gonna. I thought by looking at this, I was gonna convince myself that the Mariners are gonna do the right thing by trading Paul Sewald. But now I'm convinced I'm gonna be really pissed off at this time next week when he's traded. I'm still gonna say he's not traded. So somebody is gonna be right a week from now when we do our next Wednesday show. I am really looking forward to this interview with Matt Calkins. We have not recorded it yet, but I've I got to meet. Matt, the one time I was in the press box this year for for a Mariners game, and Lyle's gotten to meet him a couple times. Very relatable guy. Uh, he, we are him and I already have a bet. I, I met him once, and I already have a bet with him. Uh, so I mean, that's just how relatable it was. He's funny, and it was really great to meet the face behind the Seattle Times paper, which I normally don't get to do. But it was really refreshing, and I'm glad I did with Matt. And I'm really looking forward to this interview. Again, we haven't recorded it yet, but I'm excited. He's awesome. He has some really – he's outgoing. I mean, he's outgoing when he's at the games. I'm sure he's going to be outgoing in this interview. He's a bunch of fun. He's got some takes that we're going to dive into. And he also, very time-fitting, just wrote an article about Julio Rodriguez and his lack of clutch this season. So we're going to dive into that as well. But Matt, awesome guy. It's been awesome getting to know him. We're excited to have him on. Shout out, former resident of Ballard, Matt Calkins. All right, let's get to our interview with him. All right, we've got Matt Calkins on with us, sports columnist for the Seattle Times. And from what we've picked up sitting with you in the press box, Matt, not a believer in Oregon State football? Not a believer. TJ, I think I just won the easiest five bucks. It was five bucks, right? We can up. It I think it was five dollars. I did. I did make it a point. Even if you were going to forget meeting me in that press box, I was still going to email you at the end of once November rolled around. It, you know, I, I assume they get win ten sometime in November. I just yeah. bookmarked that, and then right in the middle of a Seahawks week, bam! You get a you get a, a request. Hey, you know, my Venmo is just. Uh, TJ Dash Matthewson for all uh, all contributors who want to uh, that's funny who want to yeah. help furnish myself. Well, a quick story on that. Um, like two years ago, um, I I was like at some bar and uh, there was a guy that tended bar in Kirkland, but I was at like another place called the Lime in Kirkland. You probably know the Lime, yeah, yeah, um, Lyle. And uh, he, you know, I knew him a little bit, and he was like, "Hey, if the Mariners ever make the playoffs." Um, if the Mariners make the playoffs this year, I, I want your I want my name in the call in the in the column saying that I called it. And I was like, well, they're never gonna do it. So uh yeah, fine. I'll I'll agree to that. Um and I hadn't I didn't hear from him for like nine months. This was like in February or January. And then as soon as Cal really Cal Rally hit that home run, he texted me instantly within a minute. So I think TJ might do the same thing if Oregon State wins that tenth game. But uh yeah, ten wins for the Beavers. In that conference with Knicks and uh, everyone, Knicks coming back for Oregon, um, you know, uh, Penix coming back for Washington, Ken Williams coming back for USC. I'm just not seeing it, man. So it actually works out really well because I'm going to be on uh, Radio Portland later today uh, talking about the Beavers. And I I was just refreshing myself on the schedule. So not only the Beavers are going to 
have a very good chance to get 10 wins in October, but they could get their 10th win over the Huskies here. And then you get to write about it. I would. So are, does TJ get his name dropped in, in the column? Hmm. I don't know, man. I've made made that bet before. Um, I don't think I'm going to do it again. Just, just cause for lack of originality or not originality, but repetition, lack of a novelty. But, um, I, I, I am I willing to say that I lost five five bucks on on this prediction? That that could happen. That could happen. Yeah, so and hey, I'm uh, I'm ready to I'm ready to lose five dollars too. So you yeah, know, that's the fun of the game here. On. I need to spend that five dollars on something something appropriate. So we'll uh, see. I love how we you know just open this by just very much towing the line of journalistic integrity. It's really it's really <laughs> phenomenal, and I think I don't think there's a better lesson we've been taught than than, than learning how how loosely these things get applied as we oh, uh, we get okay. a little older in this business. What I think is like, hey, why not have a little bit of fun with this? Yeah, I don't think we're compromising anything um, by by making that bet. Hopefully not. Hopefully this isn't the last interview I ever do. But no, I'm not going to treat anybody <laughs> differently. I just uh, I don't think the beeves have it in them. I haven't seen it before, so uh, they would have to really surprise me. And I'm thinking TJ might have a little hometown bias. I think he might be drinking that beaver, that Corvallis Kool Aid. So we'll see. I'm kind of with you on that. Agreeing with me on that, I kind of do agree with you. Just because, look, I'm a little bit of the third party here, Mm -hmm. but from what I remember from DJ Uyunglele's final year at Clemson, it was not. Pretty. So to turn around and win 10 games at Oregon State, I don't know. Yeah, but, you know, the Beavers, when they had, were running a backup quarterback seven of eight game, won seven of eight games last year with zero downfield passing game. And the roster this year is, is a little bit better than, than it was last year. So just right. uh, just a couple things to think about. I am looking forward to training camp, though, starting next week for them. It's it's going to be very, very entertaining, win or lose. That's, yeah, uh, that's, yeah. that's to say the least. My favorite part of the season – Matt, I do a call-in show, so I get the best of both worlds. I, I essentially get your comment section on a column, except uh, they call and talk to me after a game. Isn't that fun? Isn't that what you'd rather have? Well, it's interesting. Um, I remember when I was at San Diego. That was where I was. I was at the San Diego Union Tribune before I got to uh, Seattle. And my first column, I don't know if I would have written this again today. This is when I was 30 years old. And Norv Turner was the coach there, and he hadn't been doing anything. And my first column for the UT was that Chargers fans should hope that um, the team loses so they get rid of Norv Turner because they're never <laughs> going to improve until until they get rid of that guy. And uh, I got all kinds of comments and all kinds of emails. And one and I was actually at my desk, and a you know a person who had a strong disagreement with my premise called me, and I answered. And I was like, hey, this is Matt. And she was like, oh, uh, uh, I didn't actually expect anyone to answer this. <laughs> I just <laughs> leave a comment. Um, I just thought it was kind of weak sauce. And, and I'm like, oh, I understand that. And at the very end of it, you know, she was very cool. It's interesting. Sometimes if you meet these people in real life, like they might have one opinion one way, but like, you know, they, they talk to you for two minutes and it's totally different. <laughs> Oh, do you think half a Mariner's Twitter would actually say this stuff in person that you see online? No chance. A, there's no chance they would say it. B, they represent a much smaller percentage of the population than I think a lot of us realize. Mm-hmm. Speaking of the Mariners, Matt, and also speaking of columns, actually, I'm going to hold off on that because I got one follow-up with this whole Norv Turner story. Did Norv ever say anything to you about it? 
he never said anything. So I don't know if you guys know who TJ Simers is. TJ Simers was a columnist at the LA Times. He was very provocative. This is probably in the late 90s, early 2000s. And his whole thing, I mean, it was like, um, uh, what do you call it? Performance art when he was doing these press conferences or talking to people because he would take over and he was hilarious and you'd ask these funny pointed questions. And if the subject whether it was Phil Jackson or Kobe or, you know, J- Joe Torre at the time, I think was managing the Dodgers um, or various players. If they knew him and they played the game, they, they knew how to handle him. But some people did it. And some people would get really like a Kevin Brown was a famous story who just got really rattled uh, by TJ. And TJ wrote a column just ripping him. But his thing, and he told me this, um, even before I got to San Diego, he was like, always show up the next day if you're going to rip somebody. There are extenuating circumstances sometimes that you can't. So the very next day after I wrote that North Turn column, he didn't know who I was. I waited for everyone to clear. um, And I just said, hey, Norv, my name's Matt. I wrote a column. Um, You know, I I don't know if you read it or not, um, but I just wanted to say I'm here if you had anything to say. And he was like, you know, I don't really read columns or or care about them too much. And that was that. So never heard from him. I, again, I don't know that I would have written that today because he's got family and all this stuff, and and I don't like to go out, go for people's jobs necessarily. Um, but I was thirty, and we do things <laughs> when we're younger that we might not do when we're older. And uh, you know, it was what it was, and he was cool about it. But he actually didn't last, or he got fired at the end of the year. I think he got fired during the year, actually. So. And so, Matt, what's the other side of that? What's the reaction on the other side of that that you've gotten? Carlos Quentin. Um, Carlos Quentin, do you, he, was, oh, yeah. he was playing for the Padres. It's kind of a jerk. Um, and he was really struggling. He was their highest paid player. He was only making like $9 million a year, but he was still their highest paid player. This was like in 2013, 2014, but not getting the job done. Totally underperforming. Much more so than Julio's underperforming right now. He, I mean, he... Carlos probably had a war of 0.5 or something at this time. And I basically kept trying to get him, kept trying to get him, and he kept blowing me off. He kept blowing me off. And uh, I kind of tied that into, like, he just wouldn't talk to me. And I kind of tied that in. I'm like, you know, I've been waiting for Carlos this whole time, but I think all of San Diego has been too. Like, he's not showing up. And kind of went through all the stats, and he – I showed up the next day at the locker room. He came right up to me and he started yelling at me and all this stuff. And, and I was like, I understand. Da, 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 da. And we ended on good terms. Then he came back to me like 15 minutes later and said, you know what? I actually, I didn't read the article before, but now I did. And he was even <laughs> more upset. And that was the end of that. <laughs> he just saw the headline and heard some things. Then he actually read it. And uh, that one, I don't regret that one. I don't regret. Cause I, I think it was fair. Even Bud Black, uh, you know what? I'm not going to comment because I don't know if that was on the record or not. But um, I did have some, I did have some people, you know, other reporters and um, people in the organization kind of come up to me and say, you know, I'm not going to say this publicly, but that was that was right on. And Bud Black did not say that, but um, yeah, I mean, I had a conversation with Bud later, and and he's and he's pretty cool about it. And uh, I, I, yeah, I, I think it was fair, and I, you know. I respect Carlos. He's a hard worker and he has a family and he cares. And I think he's just, you know, wired a certain way. So it was what it was. That really is though life of a columnist. You're essentially a radio personality in print form. I mean, you have to take 
a side on something and you have to you have to put your foot down. It, it is so much different than beat writing where you're just reporting what happens. You need to take one side or another. And the problem when you do that is there is always another side. There's always another faction of people who have the very strong opposite opinion of you. And, you know, you your, your phone number and email are both listed at the bottom of every article you write. So that leaves you very open to the general public to mm-hmm. to receive all this criticism as well, which is it's 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 a job that's definitely not for everybody. Yeah, I enjoy it. I enjoy being able to give my opinion. Um, it's one of the reasons that I got into journalism is I feel like it's one of the industries where you don't have to spin things. Almost anything else you kind of do if you're a company man, um, you got to you, you got to spin things for the company. If you're in PR, you know, they, they can't be honest and nor nor should they necessarily be honest. That's not their job. They're trying to do whatever's best for their organization. Um, but, yeah, I, I do like it. What I will say is that sometimes you're on deadline and you have to make a choice um, on an angle and you got 45 minutes to write something and you, you go for it. And as you're writing, you're like, I'm not sure this is a great idea, but you have to send it and you kind of have to own it. And so when people pick apart those articles and come at me or if it's public, I don't get too bent out of shape about these things. I can't. I write 180 of these a year. Um, but that that's when I'll get a little bothered. I'm like, yeah, they, you know, when, when I know there's a hole in the story or a hole in the argument and people call me out on it, um, you know, I don't shut down for the day, but I'm like, yeah, they're right. When I know, when I feel like my case is airtight and people hate it anyways, that doesn't bother me at all. Even if it's a player or manager, I'm like, no, I'm, I stand by my opinion on this and whether it's popular in the clubhouse or in the public is inconsequential to me. And you really so, get used to these commenters and emailers in a hurry. Like it just yeah. brushes off your back. So yeah, it's second nature. It's like some of the comments we get on our social media posts. Like everybody, like there's always people that want to rip it apart. There's always somebody out there that's not going to like what you're saying. It's just, it's just what you sign up for. Someone is, thinks we someone thinks we really hate Eugenio Suarez. Like really <laughs> thinks we hate Eugenio. For we didn't say anything that that was like yeah, well, it was the the comment about that we gave his defense I think an F grade this season. No, 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 not could, his, not not his defense. We gave his first half grade I, like a C minus because we said his defense has been great. He has not been hitting and somebody spun that to you guys hate Gino. Okay. Yeah, pretty much. Somebody did. Right. Yes. I mean, it's like, okay, there's always going to be somebody. Right. Yeah. Exactly. It, it is a weird line because I I do sometimes think you should listen to people. Like if mm-hmm. there's a lot of people saying one thing, um, I think it's fair to go, are they right? Oh, no, they're not right. But I think sometimes to take that moment and go, hmm, and take the criticism and take what people are saying and evaluate whether whether they're on to something is, is healthy as long as you don't take it to heart rather than just going – I'm right and everyone else is wrong all the time. I'm with you. Yeah. Well, speaking of columns that you've written, you just wrote this column this week about Julio Rodriguez and his lack of clutch hitting this season. And there's not many ways that you can go about this in terms of agreeing or disagreeing. The numbers are all out in front of you. He is not hit in clutch situations this year. And you really outline this in your article because I think it has played a significant factor in the team's lack of success this year. Yeah, I think so. I mean, as I pointed out in the story, Julio has definitely underperformed in terms of expectations this year. But if you are a fan graphs believer, 
he's still been tied for their best player. Um, according to their war, I think he and Kirby, this is like as of two days ago, each had a 2.7. And we've talked about the difference between B war and F war um, and who really knows uh, who's right on that. But he's had a productive year, certainly not um, anywhere close to what people were expecting or compared to what he did last year. But in the clutch, he's just been horrible. I think 160 batting average in late and close situations, late and close. I can't remember exactly what that is, but basically later than the seventh inning uh, within one run or tied or, you know, um, something like that. What, what we'd consider clutch situations, not hitting, not slugging, not getting on base. His ninth inning stats are even worse, I think, and small sample size for extra innings. Um, but just, yeah, he's not there. And, you know, last night was another example. He had a chance, you know, he was up in the 10th and, you know, he at least made contact this time, but he, he didn't do anything. And, you know, the question is, is he trying too hard as Scott service, you know, said in the post game press conference on Sunday? Yeah, maybe he might be, or he's just chasing these sliders, <laughs> that pitchers are, you know, throwing them, they're throwing them junk and he doesn't seem to have the discipline to lay off them. I was surprised that the Blue Jays pitched to him on Sunday. Then I looked at the clutch numbers and I'm like, oh, I see why they did. I mean, first base was wide open and that runner didn't mean anything. The runner, the winning run was on second, go ahead on third. And, you know, they decided to to dance with a guy making $210 million. So, it's been a problem, and if he'd come through just two or three times this year, you know, they'd be right in the wild card race, but he hasn't. And the thing is, if you look at his leverage numbers on baseball reference, we've talked about he's bad in high leverage spots. He's been almost equally shitty in low leverage spots. Do I think medium leverage, he's he's been fine this year, I, I think okay. around an 800 OPS. But it, I, I don't know if we can just circle the, the high leverage spots for Julio. I'm going to take this on a, on a couple things. One, because... I, I don't think it's necessary. Like the close ones stand out the most, but it's yeah. not the only spots that he's struggling in. Second, I, I was just curious. So I looked at the Mariners' entire late and close stats yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is one single full-time player who, by the way, just hurt himself and is probably out for the season. Thank you, Jared. Uh, <laughs> who has an OPS over 700 in late and close situations. Interesting. One full-time player. The wow. rest of the group said seven of your nine starters that you were counting on for contributing significant roles this year, atrocious in late and yeah. close situations. So that's why I'm just like, well, yes, Julio's the highest paid. He's the face of the team. He's the most important, but it's not just him. It's not. And service said this explicitly. He, I asked him specifically about Julio and he was like, well, it's not just Julio. It's, it's a lot of the younger guys. So you're totally right, TJ. Um, I guess my thing was this is the this is the franchise, right? This is the guy that people are turning to. This is the guy that people are expecting to deliver, and he hasn't. But um, that's interesting. I didn't know all those stats, so thanks for bringing that up. But it also could have been, yeah, I, I suppose it could have been a Mariners don't deliver in the clutch in general. I'd have to go back and look, but I think the league average OPS for late and close situations was 689. So the fact that only one player is above 700 and he's gone for the year most likely – that's not good. And uh, what what was the difference between the Mariners this year and the Mariners last year? They won close games, and they delivered in those situations. Not only are they not doing it at the you know 
not only are they not doing better than anyone else, they seem to be doing it worse than everybody else. And uh, hence you got a team that may likely be sellers at the trade deadline, which was every, which would have been everyone's nightmare four months ago. Another fascinating thing, Matt, are, are you familiar with the Fangraphs clutch metric? I, I'm not. Well, so Fangraphs measures about on average how clutch a team is. Mm-hmm. I don't believe we mentioned this in the earlier segment of this podcast, so I'll mention it here. They were actually like zero last year in clutch metric. What meant they were pretty much dead average when it came to mm-hmm. how clutch they were in certain scenarios, which I thought was interesting because if there's one thing we think of with the last two Mariners teams, that 21 team, I believe, by that metric was the most clutch team of all time. And then we have last year where they were dead in the middle of baseball and still managed to win all of those one-run games and and orchestrate their way into the playoffs. But then this year, somehow, Lyle and I couldn't believe this when we looked at it, they're, they're not even one of the 10 worst clutch teams in baseball this year. Not even they're one not. of the 10 worst, which I, I, I don't believe it. I don't believe it, but it, it is true somehow. Does that apply to hitting and pitching? Uh, I think that's just hitting. It's just hitting. Okay. Because last year I felt like they were super clutch with their bullpen. Um, yeah. You know, you, you'd get – it would be tied, you know, after the fifth inning and you get zero 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 zero, And that – I think they had like the fourth best ERA in baseball among relievers last year. That bullpen carried them and was, I think, a big reason why they won all those close games this year. And their bullpen's been good, good again this year. So um, that might – explain a lot of, or I mean, last year in terms of why the, the hitting numbers didn't come through, but the fact that, you know, they're, they're that low this year, that's, that's interesting to me. I did expect somewhat of a regression to the mean with all the close games. You just can't keep winning like that. I mean, it's a coin flip in a sense every time. Um, and they were winning all of them in 21 and 22. So they've come down a little bit, but I guess when your best player is just, or your most talented, at least just keeps coming up short in these situations, you notice, and everyone's been noticing. Well, to your point, Matt, just going through some of these clutch stats again, Julio has, by the numbers, been the least clutch player on the team. So it does stand out for a reason, not just because he's the best player, but the numbers back it up. I believe Teoscar's two on that list, which is funny because he just had a great weekend against his former team in in these clutch situations. But it does stand out, not just because he's the face of your team, but no, he is coming up short in all these situations. Yeah, yeah. Um, It's, uh, you know, I'd love to know what's going on in his head right now. If he's just like, I got paid all this money, I need need to deliver. Or it's just, hey, you know, we've had a year to scout you. We know what to throw you, and uh, you're not adapting. I don't know, but I'm sure it's it's frustrating for a lot of people, uh, probably more more so for Julio than anyone else. I just wonder if there's even a way to fix it. Like, it doesn't feel like there's a way you can just snap your fingers and fix it, but I'm just kind of thinking out loud here. Yeah, again, I mean, I I don't know all the late and close at-bats there have been, probably like 65 or 70 or something like that. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's always stretches in the season where you have a bad 70 at-bats. Um, so it, it's hard to say for sure, but... Yeah, I would imagine that if he if his brain works like any other or most human beings, he's like everyone expects the world of me. Um and uh I need to deliver in a way that wasn't necessarily expected of me when at this point last year. You know, I'm getting paid all this money. I'm being hyped as the franchise. I've been struggling. A lot of times when you are struggling, uh you try even harder. I know this with sleep. Right. If I have trouble sleeping, 
I really try hard to sleep and I, I can't do it. And it's just a vicious cycle. So you're like, okay, you know, you try to hit the cliche six, six run Homer every time you're up there. Um, so that might be it. Or he might just be facing, you know, really good pitchers who have a scouting report on them and they know what they're going to chase. I mean, the way he's flailing at some of these sliders is, is definitely noticeable. So, I don't know if it's just plate discipline. I don't know if he's just psyching himself out. I don't know if it's a small sample size, but it's been a big issue. And if they're out of the playoffs this year, which is looking more and more likely, it's something that you, you're going to have to point to. And as you pointed out in your column with, I would say, equal protection in the lineup last year, had none of these issues in clutch situations. He was great yeah, last was year great. when it was big moments. He wasn't it, 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 it didn't seem to matter. And he was amazing yeah. in the ninth inning. Amazing. Um, I think he had an OPS of like, yeah, it was above, like Barry. I, it was like Barry Bonds prime, yeah, level OPS yeah. in those situations. Yeah, it was up there. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know what the fix is. There's a lot of things to fix there. I don't know if it's going to be fixed, but um, let's see. Yeah. Okay, I wanted to transition a little bit here and circle back to a couple of takes that we've kind of talked about sitting uh-huh. in the press box over these last few weeks. I highlighted a couple. I hope it's one I I hope you're going for one that I'm very passionate about, but go for it. Okay, so I actually have 3. I'll start with the three. one that I think I think you're referring to. Number okay. 1 is you were just saying to me a couple of days ago that you believe that if a hitter gets on via an error, their on-base percentage should actually go up. And right. and and you double down on that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's no question. There's no question. Look, why are strikeouts so valued by sabermetricians, right? It's because there's no possibility of advancing a runner, of of getting on base. If you strike people out, you're you're basically saying, you you don't threaten me. Um, If you put the ball in play, I mean, Ichiro was a great example back when he was playing. He was super fast. He'd put the ball in play. You know, somebody at third or short would, or the shortstop at third base would be like, oh man, I, I better rush to get this guy. And it comes out of their hand and he's on base. So he gets credit for being on base, or he doesn't get, he's on base, but nothing reflects that, even though nothing would have happened. Um, he wouldn't be on base if he struck out, or if he was slow, they probably would have taken some time and, and been able to get him. Um, so after I mentioned this to you and other people in the press box, this is something I've been thinking about for a while. Larry Stone was against me. Adam Jude was against me. And I looked up an old um, article from uh, David Schoenfield, who was basically asking the same question. And he pointed out, this was when uh, Miggy Cabrera and Mike Trout, I think in 2014, were battling for MVP. This might have been Cabrera's uh, uh, triple crown year. And he was like, Trout actually produced 7.7 more runs simply by getting on base on error. And there was nothing to Hmm. reflect that. There was nothing to reflect that. So if you put the ball in play, you're giving yourself a chance. And whether it's through war or some other metric, I think that needs to be reflected. But the fact that you are on base, I think on base percentage is the best way to reflect that. But I don't know what you guys think. Do we want to ref- – do we want to – is this a call to reform on base percentage or create a new stat? I would reform on base percentage – I mean, the problem is you'd probably have to go back throughout history and look at every time somebody reached on an error and that and that would be difficult. And, you know, you're uh you know, 
I don't know. I mean, I'm sure it is actually very plausible. I mean, we have wars on Walter Johnson. So, um, you know, you can you can figure this stuff out. But yeah, I, I would I would do that. I, I think I think it's I think it's the fairest way to do it. I think that needs to be reflected somehow. And I think on base percentage makes the most sense to do it. So, yeah, that that's my new mission. So my follow up to this is you said Larry disagreed with you. You said Adam Jude disagreed with you. Did you have anybody that was on your side about it? Yeah, well, I started to turn them. I started Ooh. to turn them. Um, Alex, oh God, I'm sorry, Alex. His last, I can't remember his last name. Yeah, the guy. Yeah, the like the stat genius for the yeah. Mariners. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He he was kind of he 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 was like I don't know if I totally agree with that, but I don't hate that take at all. And he actually mm-hmm. said he was reading a book like 11 years ago, and one guy made the argument to just eliminate the error completely. I don't agree with that because I think not even necessarily for the batter's sake, but you need to point out when the fielder makes an error <laughs> um, just, you know, for, for fielding percentage and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, I think, I think I got it in people's heads in, in Adam and, and Larry and okay. uh, we'll, we'll touch base in a month or so. See, see I do think it's kind of, kind of interesting the thought of eliminating errors because you think about it, that's not really how we measure defense anymore. We have way more options of how to actually say, who's a good defender and who's not, depending right. on not how many errors you are. A terrible fielder might not have any errors because they physically cannot get to the ball. That's Unlike, good- say, a Julio Rodriguez who will get more errors just to the fact he can cover way more ground in center field opposed to, say, putting Mark Trumbo in center field. Like, yeah, he's not covering a ball in the gap. Sorry. He's not a chance to get an error, but Julio might get over there uh, and the ball might go in and out of his glove and, right, and he'd get right. dinged for that it. That might happen or people might take risks um, that they wouldn't take take before because they have no chance of getting to it. So, yeah, that that's a great point. I don't know if this is apples to apples comparison, but it's a little bit like the cornerback um, who – doesn't have any interceptions but he might be the best cornerback of the league just because nobody messes with him um but yeah errors are also arbitrary right we need a scorer to tell us that Mm -hmm. we 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 don't exactly know so you could just say hey if you hit the ball and you're on base and it didn't cost you an out maybe that's just a hit i don't know here's the second i'm not advocating for batting average i'm advocating for on base okay Okay, I think that's fair. Yeah. The second take I had, well, this wasn't a take of yours. This was actually a take of TJ's, and I think you disproved it when I was talking to you about it this weekend. So oh. for anybody for anybody oh, listening this week, or anybody who listens to this podcast, a couple weeks ago, after All-Star Week, TJ had a take on here. He said, I think the reason, I mean, I think po- possibly a reason Ichiro was not at All-Star Week, as he said, is because somehow it was orchestrated that he didn't show up and he wasn't in the spotlight. So it could all be on Otani as a type of sales pitch because they talked about how six years ago he thought he was an Ichiro shadow. And I said, do I believe that? I don't know. I said, it's not the worst conspiracy theory I've ever heard. If you were a person to buy into that, maybe it's not the worst take. And I told that to you, Matt. And you said, yeah, I don't think that's the case. I think Divish, Ryan Divish actually tweeted that Ichiro just had a prior obligation, Mm. a prior commitment. And I, okay. I didn't really follow up and figure out what that was, but Ryan's not the type of guy that would just protect Ichiro in that situation. So did the did the, did the prior obligation come as soon as the All Star game was announced last year? He's <laughs> yeah. like, hmm, this right. might be a little too much attention on here. I, I might need to might need like, a reason to get out of the country, right? Yeah, uh, I got a prior commitment all of a sudden. Yeah, I don't know. I I don't know that um, Ichiro was worried about being in a, a guy's shadow. I I feel like. 
I'd be interested in what their relationship is because I know Otani, you know, he mentioned that he uh, spent the last couple off seasons in Seattle and he was working out at a driveline in Kent. Um, so I'd be curious to know what their relationship is right now, but Ichiro, I, I wasn't here when Ichiro was playing. He doesn't strike me as the type of guy that would just ditch an all-star game, you know, to clear the way for Otani. I feel like if anything, him being there with Otani um, would would be like a great moment uh, for Seattle. So I don't know. But I also know that a lot of conspiracy theories end up being right, TJ. Um, yeah. So I'm not going to totally discredit you. But I would well, say uh, I would be more confident in 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 the idea that he had a he had a legit prior commitment, even more so than I'm more that I'm confident the Beavers won't win ten games. So I'm pretty confident. <laughs> okay. The other the only other thing I could think about is he didn't he got a prior commitment because he knew they would not let him play catch in the outfield and take BP. During oh, the All-Star week. Ichiro? Yeah. That's... Because, yeah, I mean, I, is he going to show up, like, with the rest of them and just stand around and talk? Like, no, he wants to get out there. That's what he does every Mariners home weekend. That's so he's, he's the guy that doesn't age and keeps playing. A lot of people think Ichiro could have won the home run derby. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, he, yes. There's some great well, videos on it. I, I, yeah. I'm, I, I'm honestly, like, in terms of that tinfoil hat, I might, I might believe that a little bit. Possible. Yeah, it's possible. A lot of 360-foot homers, but... yeah. Might have been able to do it. What's okay, the third the, one? The last one I have for you here, and we'll see if you double down on this one. But <laughs> I can't we'll, remember we'll, my takes. Okay, so we were also just talking about, just coincidentally enough, on a previous episode, fairly recently, about Rob Manfred's tenure getting extended, and uh-huh. and he's going to be the commissioner again. And I said to all our listeners, if you're a person out there and you think Rob Manfred has not even done a good job, but a half decent job, DM us, reply to one of our tweets, something, let us know that you're out there. And I was talking to you about it and you said, I actually don't think he's done a half bad job. Now, I personally strongly disagree with that, but maybe you have a different take. Well, Rob Manfred's job essentially is he works for the owners the same way Roger Goodell is, Roger Goodell does. And so he's not necessarily out there trying to make the players happy, but I also don't, I also feel like the game has gotten better under his watch. Now, um, you know, as someone who's worked in newspapers for 19 years, I know that a lot of people on top um, have taken credit for things that they didn't actually come up with. Um, But you look at the pitch clock. I think that was a game changer. I think that's one of the most significant additions to the sport and maybe the most in the last 50 years or so. Um, I know they're making more money. Um, there was a couple other things that we were talking about. I, I, I think the runner on second base in extra innings was huge. And so I just look at this from like a macro level or even extending the fencing um, to protect kids uh, or pre- protect people from, from, you know, stray foul balls, I think was good. So um, is he necessarily, does, does he present himself? you know, as well as other commissioners have. I know like Adam Silver is beloved um, in a way that Rob Manfred will never be. Um, Has he said some stupid things? Sure. I think most commissioners are. Has baseball improved under his watch? I think, yeah, it has. I think it has. I think it's in a better spot. And, uh, you know, you don't have to like someone to say that you'd hire them. Um, and I think this is a situation where I see rubs a lot of people the wrong way, but did he get, did he do the job he was supposed to do? 
Yeah, I'm going to think that he did. In terms of some marketing things, too, I, I don't know. You didn't the, mentioning the, let's say, the Field of Dreams game or just like the Destination games, I think, is a is a phenomenal idea. I think we would all agree he didn't come up with those. I, I don't think Rob Manfred woke up one day and was, came to the office like, I have an idea. <laughs> but Probably not. he let, I, he you know, he's in charge, right? He's in charge of the league. So it's his responsibility to make sure these events go on. And I would say they've been quite the success because they are that one destination thing all year. And you could compare something to like, you know, the NFL owns Thursday, Sunday, and Monday every week, every night of the week. Well, why not baseball take one game a year where everyone's like, oh, shit, this is on national TV and they're playing in a cornfield in Iowa. Isn't that cool? Yeah. And everyone's tweeting about it. So, I mean, I, I'd give them that, too. I think that's a, a little bit on the creative side of Rob Manfred. I'll, I'll, I'll challenge you. How do you, what, how do you think he's made it worse? If you were to say, don't extend Manfred, what would be your argument? I mean, so much of it just has to do, I hate the way he handled the lockout. And I think baseball could have come back so much faster during the COVID year and could have been the sport that everybody had their eyes on and could have helped the game grow that much more rapidly during 2020 when everybody was just yearning for some sport to watch. And it took baseball forever to get back because, I mean, the players and owners couldn't get out of their own way. And I think for the most part, it was the owners and Manfred being incredibly selfish. So that's what really, I think, rubs me in a lot of people. That's a fair point. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's a fair point. I don't want to say all bets are off during the COVID year. So many people are trying to figure out how to handle it. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, it it was something where uh, I think – when did when did they come back that year? That was in, July. They came back yeah, in July, I it, think. It was only a couple days before the NBA started too. So then there was two sports playing at the same time. Right. Okay. I'd have to go back and look at that. I, I'd be going <laughs> off the cuff if, if I were to have a take right now. Um in terms, I, I I do remember, I think writing a column saying they they should get they should get back out there. We have safety protocols in in play. Um, I don't remember what the holdup was exactly three years ago. What was the big holdup? It, it was just I think the 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 owners and the owners were worried about losing too much money, so they wanted okay. to get the they wanted to bleed enough days to get to a certain number of days towards the end of the season, which Uh-oh. in theory makes sense. But as a fan, like obviously we don't want to hear that. We just want to just they we just want to watch the game. Bunch, they didn't want to play ninety games in empty stadiums. They'd rather play <laughs> yes, yeah, they wanted sixty instead, right? And okay. yeah. I think it all boils down to the public image of Rob Manfred, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I mean, him going up on the stage during the during the draft, getting booed and looking like, a, a, like put it perfectly, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago on this podcast, and I'll just rehash it, looked like a substitute teacher who lost control of the yeah. class. And I feel like as a commissioner, that's not necessarily the image you want to go off because it doesn't really feel like you have control of the situation. But, you know, it is what it is and, and everything still still happened in that in that sense everything's happened and man we talk all the time about coaches who won the press conference when they got hired and then their team sucks and there's guys who are timid and camera shy and don't seem comfortable and they succeed i think image is a little bit overrated commanding the room and all that stuff in terms of how you deal with the media if you're good with the media and your team's bad and everyone likes you, they'll go easier on you. Bud Black's a great example in San Diego. They made the playoffs one. I don't know. Did they make the yeah? They made the playoffs once in in nine years, and they were really bad for like his last five. And he was 
he was fine. <laughs> Everyone loved him. Um, so yeah, I think as long as he's keeping the train moving, um, if he gets booed and, and looks uncomfortable and a little overwhelmed at the draft, I can live with that. I sound like a Rob Manfred Stan right now. I don't have, like, <laughs> yeah. I'm, not, I'm not like having, you know, we don't have familial ties or anything like that. I'm just, I'm trying to be objective about it. And, uh, I would say he's been a net positive for the game, but I, I'd have to go back and look at the COVID situation. <laughs> that just about wraps up, although I think TJ had one last thing for you. I, I do have one. Completely off the cusp, Matt. Uh-oh. So is it a gift or a curse to share a name with a billionaire? Did you know that there's a billionaire with your exact name? Oh, Matt Culkins. Oh, yeah. yeah. Are, are you oh, entitled no. to some of his money? I, I think uh, I'm his muse, I believe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I think he, he looks at me and he's like, man, I got a billion dollars, but uh, I don't think I come up first on Google results. So he's got he's got a ways to go. No, it's – it's uh, I'll, I'll, I'll say it's a blessing. I'll say it's a blessing. He's definitely got me on money, but I, I think I could uh, take him in arm wrestling for sure if you take a look. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't even know who he is. Like, TJ, how did he make his money? Did you even figure this uh, out? He founded Appian Software yes. Company. Software I've never heard I'd never heard of it before. I don't know what Appian is. I didn't know there was another Matt Calkins out there, but okay. he was the one. Yeah, you're right. He like you were first. You were, your author page was at the top of the Google search, but then it was like 10 of the other Matt Calkins. Oh, I'm yeah. like, wow, Matt, is yeah. Matt living a double life on us? Hey. I mean, he's got glasses. Clark Kent situation here. Um, he's also a board game developer. Or he's a board game geek. Okay. And he's, he's created a bunch of board. I know a lot about Matt Calkins. There's also another Matt Calkins who has like, he was like totally jacked on Instagram too. So we, I would say if your last name is Calkins, name him Matt. He's going to go on to do big things. Okay. <laughs> yeah. in, in a perfect world, you could combine the Matt Calkins from the gym and the Matt Calkins who makes all the money. Yeah, and exactly. Just and, then, yeah, and then it spits you we, out and you and you decide have, to write for a newspaper. We should have a sit down. You know, there is a guy named Jeff Calkins uh, who wrote who used to write for um, the uh, Memphis or the Memphis Commercial Appeal. And he actually had a pretty big following. Huh. And uh, we bonded over the the common misspelling of our last names, which is C. It's C-A-L-K-I-N-S, but everyone says it's C-A-U-L-K-I-N-S. Mm. And uh, we've emailed each other a couple of times, and, and his name is G-E-O-F-F. And he's like, well, how do you think I feel? I'm J-E-F-F-C-A-U-L-K-I-N-S to everybody. <laughs> so you've only got it that bad. Well, for this Matt Calkins that we have on, this has been awesome. This has been a really fun conversation. We always enjoy chatting it up with you in the press box. We certainly appreciate you coming on today, and we're looking forward to more conversations going forward. Yeah, for sure, man. Anytime you want to chat, let's do it. I'll see you. I'll see you guys out there soon. Looking forward to that cash, baby. TJ. <laughs> that was a great interview with Matt Calkins. Lyle, I think my one big takeaway from that interview is that come December, I'm pretty confident I'm going to be $5 richer. Well, maybe if we ever grab a drink with Matt one day. You can go and use that $5 to buy a drink, or maybe he can just buy you a drink. Although, as we know, it is hard to find a $5 drink in the Seattle area. Yeah, I don't know where we'd have to go. Like Back down to Arizona, maybe? If he came to Corvallis, we could. Uh, there's a plenty of $5 drinks down here. Well, maybe if we're all at spring training next year, which we've talked about we would love to do, and we're certainly hoping to do as long as it all works out. If he's down there and we're down there, 
Maybe we can head over to Mellow Mushroom in Tempe, go to happy hour. Then you can get two drinks. It'll be $2 Marg night, and you can get two drinks with the five bucks. You know me. I'm not going to turn down two drinks. I'm not, I, I don't turn down opportunities to double fist. Well, maybe we'll have to circle back to that in February because that would be a blast. But Matt was awesome. As you could tell from the interview, he's certainly a personality. He's really outgoing, knows his stuff. Even if he has some takes, which we were having to push back on him with a little bit and have some dialogue about, it's all in fun. And he's been a blast to get to know being at the games this year, sitting next to him in the press box. And we look forward to doing more of it. So it was awesome to have Matt on. With that, that'll just about wrap up this edition of the Marine Layer Podcast. You guys know the drill. If you want to listen to the full-form podcast on the audio side, you can do so on Apple, Spotify, Google, and Amazon. Make sure to follow, go download the episodes, go give us a five-star review. That really helps us out when you leave that five-star review, so make sure to do that. And if you want to watch on the video side, head over to YouTube too. Hit subscribe, like, comment, turn the notification bells on. That way when we post an episode or we post short-form clips, You'll know about it right away because you'll get an update about it. So go check us out on YouTube and hit that subscribe button and the notification bell. If you want to follow us on social media, you can do so on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube Shorts at Marine Layer Pod. For TJ Matthewson, this is Lyle Goldstein. As always, we thank you guys for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon.